Hello and welcome to another instalment of Witch Car Weekly. My name is Daniel Gardner. Thank you for joining me in the, the gamey studios at Bauer Media Headquarters. It's gamey? Gamey, you know, like a badger set, you know, a bit sort of whiffy. And the main reason for that is because Scott was just partially stripping off. He had his, his white tummy out. It was quite... The guns um, out. Um, as uh, he's already revealed himself in more ways than one. Scott Newman, Associate Editor of Motor Magazine. Thank you very much. Ciao. It's a very, very special week. Because we have a special guest, and that special guest is also a listener of Witchcar Weekly. It gives me great pleasure to welcome to the gamey, Scott-scented studio, um, racing driver and driving coach, Renato Liberto, ladies and gentlemen. Buongiorno, everyone. Thank you so much for being here for your first slash second time, but I'm not going to explain (laughs) the meaning of that in-joke. We have got you in for numerous very good reasons. Um, I want you to tell us uh, some of your motoring motorsport anecdotes and also a little bit of fun stuff you've been up to lately more about that later um we're going to start with a uh, new hot news topic uh, but before that on today's chat holden says bye-bye to its big bird teaching rich people to drive and the world's most dangerous ferrari scott sad news uh, or is it i don't know the writing has been on the wall for some time holden has announced that it will not sell uh, and therefore kill off the Commodore and Astra. But no one cares about Astra. Oh, so sad. <laughs> oh, some people do. But the big news here is obviously Commodore. Yes, yes the Commodore. And it is sad news. I think it is sad news. Uh, I think even diehard Ford fans will have to shed maybe half a tear because, yeah, it's an enduring icon of Australian motoring. It's uh, and it's very sad that it's going out this way, sort of with a whimper rather than a bang. Mm. We could have said farewell with a mighty GTSRW1, but instead we're saying goodbye with a imported sales falling sort of yeah kind of yeah. yes we're going to do we're going to we decided this is well worthy of a special edition so we're going to Correct. talk we're going to give this all of the depth that it deserves uh, in a special edition of which car weekly coming to your ears very soon but just to, to briefly skim over this um because it is such a relevant topic um does this now confirm that the way ford dealt with the falcon is was the right thing to do Rather than just let it die off without dignity, kill it off and just say, that's it, it's done. I think so, but I think Holden may have left that too late already by, you know, having a rebadged car come in and, you know, yeah. the, the, the yeah. original Commodore is not as we know it now and that's, you know, that's a bit of a shame. I think it would have been nice, as Scott said, to, to leave on a high, have a W1, have some crazy high-spec horsepower thing as like the hero car of all time yeah, and then finish. That yeah. would have been a great way to go. Yeah. Because people are just not warm to it. And that's the problem. People people are not just buying Commodores. They're not buying large passenger vehicles anymore. And no, it was always... It had, you know, again, we're going to it in detail in the future, but it had everything against it. So it was always... Was it ever going to succeed? Holden probably thought, yes. Well, at least part of them did, but it just hasn't done what it needs to. And then obviously, once PSA took over uh, Vauxhall and Opal, it was like, why would they care about this car? So, yeah. Very sad. Um, but anyway, we thought it was a good time to celebrate in our own particular way, in typical Witch Car Weekly style, and talk about our favourite Commodores and Commodore yes. moments. Um, guests first, <laughs> Renato. Favourite? Actually, I know of I know of one of your one of your fond Commodore moments. It was when you came out to help us out with as our high. <laughs> I know what I'm going to say. You I've came, seen a couple of uh, outtake shots of this. You came out to, as evidence. our hired gun with a huge 11 or 12 car um, affordable performance car mega test, and you arrived in a hire car, which was a VF Commodore, and to just cite the track, 
and uh, just get a feel for it. You did a few hot laps. Well, it was, it was to be fair and impartial to the 12 cars we had there for the test. If I'd driven any of them, they would have had an unfair advantage. So I needed to choose Switzerland out of the, the car park, and that just happened to be my high car. Switzerland was a feeling a bit ragged right yeah. now. Well, if, if Switzerland are prepared like to give me a car with no excess, yeah. what do they expect? <laughs> it was bloody funny watching you do a few laps of the Haunted Hills and that Nothing thing. handles like a high car. Absolutely. It was amazing. Does the ESP go all the way off in a VF? It appeared to. It certainly looked like it from where I was standing, yes. It just checked out, went to the pub. Yeah. <laughs> that was great. Uh, any other notable Commodore modes you'd like to add to that? Uh, probably for me, personally, when I was 14, 15, my father had for a short period of time a VL Group A Brock Commodore. So the SS oh, that was the Maroon, cool. not the Walkinshaw Big Silver thing. And that was awesome. I got to learn how to properly drive heel and toe gear shifts in that. I was racing open wheelers cool. at the time. And they got to have a, a crack at that at Lakeside Race Up in Queensland. So wait, you started racing race. open wheelers and then you learned how to heel toe? Well, yeah. Well, I, <laughs> on his fourth gearbox. Well, yeah. <laughs> there has to be another way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was it was more so I'd be, I, we'd had the car I'd started testing, hadn't properly started racing yet and needed to get more miles yep. and it was better to run it in a road car and that's just what Dad happened to have in the driveway at the time. Oh, so. What did but, you learn to heel and toe in, toe in there? Still haven't. Oh, really? Okay, there you go. Uh, no. On his 45th gearbox. <laughs> I learnt... I don't know, really. Well, what I, you know what I learnt to drive in. I learnt to drive in my dad's Audi 90 Quattro, which was awesome. Ooh. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it was yeah. cool. And I chopped the bottom of the airbox off it, so it sounded... Oh, that's a nice. warble. Yeah, yeah, it was great. Um, but we're not talking about uh, cars and learnt to drive in. We're talking about favourite Commodore moments. Sorry, I got distracted. <clears throat> that's okay. That's fine, because it normally results in gold, Scotty. Gold. Uh, I... I love the the VL Turbo. That for me was when I discovered what that car was. I was like, "That's that's not a muscle car. It's making the wrong sound." Mm. But it's it's such a yeah, it's such a paradox of a car. On the one hand, it's you know classic Aussie car, and on the other hand, it's a six cylinder turbo. I'm just I just love that. It's a bit ironic, isn't it? That 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 Holden turbocharged that engine like it was a Japanese yeah. engine. Yeah, and they had Japanese turbo Nissans, but not with that engine. So it took yeah, it got Holden and they used to crack the windscreens in hard cornering really? and the body flex. Wow. Yeah. Uh, but I've never driven one of those. So my favourite, probably personal uh, Commodore moment would be when we went through the many um, GTSRs that we had. Mm. Luckily, going through Such our good car. car. Uh, not the W1, just the good old plain old. It was uh, a better cooking car. variety GTSR. Mm. We had a Spitfire green one for a while uh, in manual, and I just thought this at last is the Australian car one I own. I would own one of those. Absolutely. What are they going for on car sales now? Oh, probably still too much. The other one I would love, I'd, and it's a car I'd never actually drove. I drove plenty of VF Redlines, but never drove the Motorsport Edition, which had the extra cooling. It was track capable, blah, 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 blah. I see them quite around quite frequently, which is good. People are driving them, good on them, drive the, drive these cars, and I just love one of those. They sound amazing. They drove so beautifully. Um, yeah. So, so, and I think that's the memories we should be holding on to. Totally, absolutely. Yeah. I think when when we're all driving the the last of the the, the VFs, it kind of only dawned on people then just mm. how good we made cars yeah. in Australia. And then it was genuinely sad. Like I remember, the, like the last time you took a car back and thought, "I'm not going to drive one of these again." Yeah, and it's actually genuinely sad. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so what we're saying is, it's not such a sad day that the <laughs> European-built kind of weird one that doesn't no. feel like a Commodore is finally being put out of pasture. Yeah. All right, great. Um, uh, once again, we're welcoming very special guest Renato Liberto to the studio this week. Um, we've got plenty we could talk to you about. We could do a we could do a special edition on this man alone. But there's one. Speciale. Oh, sorry, yes, we've got Speciale. Sorry, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we're telling sorry. Um, okay, there was a story that when the aforementioned uh, twelve car mega test we were doing, we sat down at breakfast one morning, and you told me a story that is 
amazing. And if I thought it was a perfect thing to to start with on Witch Car Weekly, um, this goes back to when you were still racing a Ferrari. Uh, it was Bathurst, and it was not a great outcome for the day, was it? No, it wasn't. No, so it was our our third crack at the event. The year before, we'd come second to the Nissan, and we we're hoping to obviously go one step higher this year. This was 2016, and uh, I was second driver, and it had always been the plan. So we'd normally try and do a double stint in the morning, so roughly two hours in the car, driver change, two hours, just to get into the day and then see where you're at after that. And within about just under the first hour, my first driver, Benny Simonson, came in, jumped out of the car. It was sort of out of schedule stop. I jumped in and just took off. And within an hour myself, I'd been sick inside the car, like I'd thrown up inside the car, but hadn't really realised I'd thrown up at the time. I actually became conscious of me throwing up after the fact, seeing it on my gloves and on the steering wheel and so on. Um, you didn't really, you couldn't, you didn't know it had happened as such. No, no. And I mean, and even, and we'll come to it, I guess, in a little bit of time, but even having had that happen, I just radioed the pits. I was coming out of Forest Elbow onto Conrad Strait. Um, about one and a half k's to the pits at that point, and I said to my engineer on the radio, "I've been sick in the car, and I'm I'm not aware that I've been sick. I need to come into the pits." And I thought I just toddled my way back into the pits, and we did a driver change, and, and that was it. But in reviewing footage in the car, I'd actually done another whole lap, so I'd done wow. you know, another full six and a bit k lap at Bathurst. That is a serious without hangover. knowing I'd done it. Yeah, major knowing I'd done it. Yeah. It's amazing though, like you can operate it's essentially on muscle memory. I it suppose. is, yeah, yeah. absolutely, yeah. And so I, whilst, whilst I was out, I was in the wrong gears in places. I was sort of keeping things together, but I was like 50 seconds slower on that inlap. So, so something was, was clearly very wrong. Yeah. So when, you, I, when I pulled up, I hadn't done the exit routine. You know, we have a way in which we like loosen the belts off in pit lane yeah. and set the car in a certain mode so that when the incoming driver gets in, it's like a default setting for yeah. them to get, to get moving. I'd done none of that. So I pulled up in third gear, stalled the car and got dragged out of the car, basically unconscious, and then wow. kind of collapsed on the garage floor. Um, and what it ended up transpiring was it had carbon monoxide poisoning, but it Bingo. took a while right. to, to figure out. Okay, but that's not where it ended because you ended up you got back in the car. Correct. Yeah. So uh, we, you have like a minimum drive time requirement. So if you're a qualified driver to be in the race, you have to do a minimum number of laps or minimum time in the car to allow the car to qualify as a finisher. Um, so I had to end up doing another stint in the afternoon, and even at that point, I didn't know. We stay together as a team for the week. You know, you eat at the same restaurants, eat all the same meals, stay in the same place. And turns out that Benny, when he jumped out at the end of his first little half stint, he was throwing up in a bin at the back of the garage. So oh. we just assumed we'd both had a bad burrito, whatever. You know, we weren't we weren't well, and we just press on throughout the day. But you, so like I said, you got it back in the car, like, and obviously Benny was sick as well. So how did? And there must have been the third driver, yeah, Andre I Montemini. Yeah. Um, how did the? Did you just have to pit every hour with? Well, we, we, we kind of, you wouldn't necessarily throw up, but you kind of, it's funny, um, Andrea didn't present the same way that we did in terms of getting sick, but this is a guy, for those that don't know um, who Andrea Montemini is, he was a Ferrari F1 test driver for uh, the V12 period when Prost and so on were there. Handy um, then. Yeah, Ferrari factory GT driver, and he was part of our team for that year, and he got five penalties for swerving under the safety car. Oh. And during the day, we just kept, because in Europe, you can do that kind of thing, and we just kept saying on the radio, don't swerve when the lights go out. Don't do that. We kept getting penalties. And in hindsight, you look back that. and go, "That's that was so weird for someone as professional as him and experienced yeah. as him to do that. He must have been dealing with things the same way that we mm, were, you wow. know, in terms of it just didn't hit him as hard, excuse me, when he was in the car. I remember you saying, actually, that, that you to, up to that day, you'd never 
damaged or scratched the panel on a car before, yeah. and you took a wing mirror off it. Yeah, you? the right hand mirror coming down into uh, Forest Elbow. You're clearly not driving fast enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen how much a wing mirror is on one of those cars? <laughs> There's great incentive not to. Um, but to be fair, in races like that, um, you know, in the so the first eleven hours of it, you're not you shouldn't be pushing at a hundred percent. You know, you, you're working through a routine to stay on the lead lap, and um, but yeah, so it was just. There's a number of things in hindsight when you look back at the day and go, there were so many red flags there right. for us to consider other options. And I mean, that's part of it, the awareness of that in the sport. It's not that common, but knowing things are not right, having a really good understanding with your engineer that they can talk to you on the day and even talk to you in the car, you know, and acknowledge that you're going well or you're not you're not coherent. Those sort of things need to be addressed more and, and have been addressed since then. So you were seriously unwell. I mean, you were, you know, it's not just mild poisoning, you were... You were pretty pretty bad in a really shitty way and you managed to get through the day it wasn't until quite some time later that you realized it actually was carbon monoxide yeah poisoning. A, f- a few days later i went to my gp back in sydney who's a cams medical assessor and explained like i just felt so much worse in the days following um, the event than the event day spoke to him and he said we'll just do a blood test and and for the listeners that aren't aware of carbon monoxide kind of mimics um, the red blood cells in your blood so what would carry oxygen normally in your blood it sort of mimics them so you're effectively suffocating yourself by not having enough oxygen right. getting to your lungs and so on and and through your body um, but the tertiary part of it which is probably long term for me the worst part is all the heavy metals and and toxins that are in the fuel so the bits that aren't properly combusted yeah that i've then breathed in caused me problems with i was getting Temporary blindness, so like a couple of days well. at a time. Yeah, getting massive migraines and cognitive function errors, like not being able to count properly and do like childhood neurological tests. I was failing for quite a while. Scott, maybe a... you've got carbon monoxide poisoning. Duh. Poor joke. Sorry. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. But so... uh, yeah, when you can't smell it and you can't see it, you don't know what's happening at, at the time, and that's that's the scary thing about it, I guess. So Silent the doctor. But deadly. Sorry. Silent, Silent but, but deadly. deadly. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's, it's a really nasty type of poisoning isn't it absolutely and it's very difficult to treat so the, the doctor found diagnosed what the problem was yeah um through blood tests yes yeah, through blood tests. heavy metals in there as well great good measure why not we'll just carry on with all that yeah and then so it's hyperbaric treatment so in a hyperbaric chamber we're at about three atmospheres for a period of time where they flood it full of rich oxygen so you're trying to shred the the, the crap out of your blood basically as yeah. well as a treatment of blood transfusions to try and just get as much of it out of my body as quickly as possible and then just you know rinse and repeat that process until you start feeling a bit better. And that's not an overnight process, is it? By no, it was it was a few months worth of that to be honest wow. to get on top of it. And the sort of saturation I was at when I got tested, it's sort of like a one in three chance. From uh, carbon monoxide poisoning doesn't just happen in race cars; it can be you know barbecues at home and generators in your workshop and all those kind of basic things. But there's about a one in three chance if you're as bad as I was of, of survival from it. So um, serious. Yeah. That, and, and, so it was that close. Yeah, absolutely. And there's not a lot of medical science to support there. Whilst there is around carbon monoxide, the specifics of our industry. So like the when I gave the, neurolo- uh, the neurologist like the material safety data sheet, like the info sheet on the fuel that we've got, he's yeah. like, I don't know what half of these things are. Oh, wow. You know, because yeah. it's just like benzyl ethyl. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. You need a just, petrochemist or something, not a yeah, neurologist exactly or something. Right, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. even then they don't know, the neurologist doesn't know what that does to you. What is right. ingesting that much of that yeah. actually do to someone? Because there just isn't that evidence. Yeah, it's a pretty specific sort of set of circumstances. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I think so. probably you're the best person to ask that. Is, <laughs> yeah. And well, your answer yeah. would be it makes you feel really, really shit. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I, I spent a bit of time, so the governing body of the sport, CAMS, that, that sort of governs our sport and looks after safety, I actually spent some time with them explaining 
what happened to me and how we can maybe manage it from a, you know, like I mentioned before, your engineer understanding what the driver's response is like in the car and, and, and certain ways to manage that during a race. You can put different charcoal filters on helmets now, which they're doing. So forced air is blowing, you know, clean, fresh air into a carbon filter in your helmet. Mm -hmm. So if you're pressurizing the airspace in front of your face, stuff can't get in there because yep. it's a higher pressure in there. Right. It's actually blowing air out. So if it does happen. You might get like 5% concentration instead of like you had 100% Breathing everything in the yeah. car. Yeah. yeah, exactly right. So so we know what happened, but how did it happen? What, where, where the problem started? We expect the, the main root of the cause is in qualifying. My teammate had actually tagged the wall on one of the laps and, and damaged the left rear of the car. Right. Obviously being a mid-rear engine car, um, it's affected the header pipes on the left-hand side, which has then created you know an exhaust leak. So before the catalytic converter, which right. does a lot of that shredding of that stuff off right. as it goes, cleaning it, cleaning the air up. Um, and obviously the cabin of the car is a low pressure area. So if there's a, a fatigue point into the cabin, whether it's like a damaged seal when they've been putting the engine in um, or, you know, anything's misaligned in a race car, panels are not as yeah. precise as road cars sometimes. Um, it can let that air into the cabin, of course, because it's a lower pressure. So, yeah, it's it's a it's a comedy of errors that results in a, you know, a bad outcome. It's not it that It could have common. been so much worse. Absolutely. I mean, you look back at classic, you know, the whole red mist thing that people talk about, you know, helmet goes mm -hmm. on, brain falls yeah, out. Yeah. <laughs> like a lot of that could have actually been in the early days of motorsport, carbon monoxide. Yeah. You know, it, I was it, just thinking like the 80s, like in the Group B days and on the F1 days. Absolutely. When they were using what is it, like Tuoline or something? Tuoline. Yeah. They certainly had no catalytic converters on those no. things. They were just running yeah. on rocket fuel and. I'm sure the fumes, if you're following yeah. another car or something, yeah. and all those people that just fell off the road, like, yeah. Um, a mate of mine who actually worked for Brabham back in that sort of period when Bernie Eccleston mm -hmm. was owning the team was saying that the guys who were churning fuel, so tipping oh, it out of the yeah. jump, it was like syrup. It was like thick because it was heavy density fuel. They could get, you know, more of it in. Wow. Um, they were getting like blood noses while they're just <gasps> literally tipping fuel into a can, to, like oh. a jerry can to put into the race cars. So you can imagine what that stuff would do to you. And obviously that's improved a lot of that really bad lead stuff's out, but there's still a lot of really... Do they still use know, that ELF uh, whatever, 104 or 106 or whatever LMS fuel? That's exactly right. That's what we're using, yeah. So okay. it's, it's you know, it's $9 a litre basically to get it uh, delivered to 12 hour to, to run at the car. Oh, so, so at yeah, least you had good high quality yeah, poison. For $40, yeah, $40 yeah. of poisoning a lap is, is great, you know, <laughs> over an hour. Yeah. It's good going. But uh, yeah, it is it is the fuel to use to get horsepower and cool running of engines and things like mm. that. But at the same time with that comes, you know, a lot of these other chemicals and things in there, which you wouldn't really have. Smelling in rally cars, you get that real sweet sort of absolutely honey. Always lovely, it's yeah. great. Yeah, that's just yeah, killing you. Yeah, that's, all. that's right. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I also remember you saying that yeah, for some reason you weren't using the cabin ventilation, or, or and that was another that we were talking about. These small variables. If any one thing had been different, then it could have been a very absolutely. different outcome. So why weren't you using the cabin ventilation or something? Well, again, you can't smell. You don't know what's happening. So you right. know you're right. driving through the morning of the, the race where the, the temperatures changing. You're trying to keep the cabin. So the cars, the GT3 cars, do. Have have some air conditioning it's not like your road car where it can get right, to yeah. 16 degrees but it just takes the edge <laughs> off and it also helps stabilize like you know frost on the windscreen and stuff like that which yeah, you can okay. get up there in the early hours of the morning so we would run that you would have the windows closed if we'd known that there was a problem yeah and they'd put two and two together in the pits of benny being sick and me now being in the car i would have opened the you know opened the driver's right. side window yeah changed to you know from recirc to fresh air and all those sort of things right. would have been done to manage it yeah. but Literally, the first time I was aware of anything was I came out of Forest Elbow, looked at my right glove as I had some left lock on, and saw something on the glove, and then right. looked at it, and then there's vomit on my glove. Is that the only and time was... you've been sick in a helmet? Yes. Because I, I remember Weber threw up in his helmet, yeah. and, and it just must be the most 
horrific experience. Like yeah. to wear a full face helmet and then to just projectile into it. I can tell you what's worse than that is about four hours later having to put it back on to oh, the next stint in the no. car. That's the worst fit. Oh god. There have been some good outcomes though, haven't there? As you say, there's no processes that have changed. Yep. You've been consulted on this and as as always, you know, with motorsport there's still really tragic accidents. We hope to learn from it. And, absolutely. And the, this motorsport realm is safer as a result of that incident. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's that's trickled down into other categories in Australia as well. And, and certainly just yeah, the awareness of it, people being aware that it happens, even pit crew being in garages and so on. Like that sort of stuff is really important to make sure that the health of everyone working on the car is sound. Um, and I guess, you know, the less of it we can get to the better. I mean, eventually going EV, you're not going to have these problems, but then people will get electrocuted. You know, there'll, there'll be another problem. So yeah. <laughs> don't get Scott started on that. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? Electric racing car, Scott? Ooh. Let's sow that seed. You could now. put like a credit card in with a peg on the back wheel. Can you like yeah. that? would be yeah. great. <laughs> or just have a guy like with a microphone sitting yeah. in the stands going, <laughs> <laughs> Probably won't happen. Uh, Renata, did that um, call time on your... Could you still race? I mean, actually, there have been for sort of ongoing consequences. Can you still race? Or Yeah, look, I actually had my most license suspended during that process, like on medical grounds, which is fair enough. I totally yeah, yeah. get that. I wasn't in the headspace to even drive yeah. anyway. I did go back and do a race. Actually, the day after we did that uh, 12-car Comparo, um, I went and ran a Group C car at the Phillip Island Classic. So that was a Ferrari-powered Group C Pro Sport. Um, only one in the world. Really cool thing. But uh, I did actually have a problem in one of the races. We sat on the dummy grid for an extended period of time. There was like a 10-car vintage Formula Ford crash in the race before us, requiring a lot of cleanup. Oh. And I sat behind a 956 Porsche Uh-oh. running on jungle oh, juice. Oh, you kidding. Just yeah. idling away for 15 minutes. You know, they shut it down. They'd reboot it to or restart it to get some temp back. Oh. And I just ingested a whole bunch of fumes oh, and... God. Oh, I just didn't feel well in that race, so I had to park it mid-race. So, is it something that I mean, your recovery is still ongoing. I mean, this is a few years ago now, but you're still yeah. um, not quite there. I and mean, we're very happy that you're, you're you're pretty pretty good. Yeah, I still get really really bad migraines, like for right. days and days at a time. All the blindness and vision and all those sort of bad things have, have thankfully gone. Yeah. and that came as a result of that hyperbaric therapy. Yeah, um, but certainly the the migraine management is a big part of it. And you know, like. I don't know if anyone gets bad headaches or migraines, but you know, you just don't. You, the last thing you want to do is sit yourself in a race car yeah. Yeah. and drive high speed around other people. And I guess, out of my own safety, but respect for everyone else, I don't want to be the idiot that causes a crash because yeah. I think I can take some Panadol and go and race a car. So, are you more susceptible to more carbon monoxide poisoning, or like, because you've been uh, really unwell with it before? Yeah, you do have a saturation that can kind of build up over time, yeah, so right. it does actually affect lungs and things like that more in, in people that have had it before. Um, and that's obviously a consideration. I've got two kids now and a family and everything, yeah. so I, I take that into consideration. But with the work that I do, I still get to spend many, many days a year in race cars, not in race scenarios. And to be honest, I was only doing a Bathurst and a few things, you know, picking main events a year to, to yeah. do. I wasn't full-time trying to make a living from it. So for me, I'm not giving away a whole career and in income and everything yeah. else. I still have my, my day job to get back to, which is driving race cars and stuff. So it's sort <laughs> nice of... Nice yeah. Not a bad plan, <laughs> yeah. Excellent. As a general rule, we prefer our guests to be alive, and you are, which yeah, is yeah. excellent, so thanks for that. And uh, yes, nice transition into what you do now. So Motor Kinetic is your, is your um, business. You organise and run uh, ride days, uh, drive days, events on tracks um, and it's for all drivers as well and it? it starts you know right from you can have beginners all the way up to aspiring racing drivers that's right um, yeah. the question that Scott and I really want to know though is what is it like trying to look after 
people who own Ferraris that can't drive them. There, I said it. <laughs> you snob. To be honest, a lot of the people that own those cars are very successful business people. They, you know, they're getting these cars later in life, and they, they've they're very clever decision makers. They judge risk well, and and to be honest, from our side, we can judge a lot of their the way they carry themselves when they turn up in the morning, you know, for the safety briefing and sign on. The way they sit in the car. So if they arrive in their race boots, you're like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. No. I brought my own helmet. Yeah. Oh, got, yeah, no. all that kind of stuff. <laughs> but honestly, I mean, that is all that is all part of it. We always joke in our industry that if we had a police lineup in a room of of owners of different makes of supercar, we yeah. could nail down every single person. <laughs> really? Almost to, not just the brand, but the make of car in some cases. Oh, that's definitely. a good pub game. Probably not yeah. one to watch car weekly, but uh... I'd love to play. It. We've got to we've got to find a, a way of doing an this. app. An app. There's a which car. Yeah. Guess, guess, guess the car. Yeah, guess yeah. the supercar. Right Perfect. Uh, but you know, with there's all sorts, and probably it's actually more dangerous when you go to the lower end of it. And I don't mean that in a condescending way. But when someone's got a souped-up car and they're like a weekend warrior that goes and does track days once a month and they're hotted up, whatever, mm. worth thirty grand, there's a lot less for them to lose financially if something oh, goes wrong yeah. but so also those are the ones to be worried about yeah and, and you know the one that, also they've installed the brakes that weekend rather <laughs> than Marinello doing it yeah. you know, exactly right. a lot of DIY happening yeah. and yeah and also they might keep tyres and brakes on for four track days whereas somebody that goes and does a you know high end day or whatever the car will go to the dealer and get checked beforehand right. tyres, brakes etc there's a lot less risk to that point uh, was it three weeks ago, four weeks ago, I was doing 297 in the passenger seat of an 812 at Phillip Island, not on the public road, I might add, but, <laughs> and I felt totally safe, absolutely safe in a car doing that speed. You know, obviously helmets on. I know the driver, I've spent time with him before, but I had no issues being in the car at that speed with him. Right, okay, and that's, okay, well, that's nice to hear, you know, because as Scott says, you know, it's, it's a, it's a perhaps an unfair uh, presumption that, you know, people yeah. who... Buy these cars often, you know, it's the classic all the gear, no idea. Yeah. yeah. But you must get one or two. Oh, I mean, it's certainly when you're in, you know, in the, in the news and media, when, when a whatever supercar it is does something wrong on the public road, yeah. everyone knows about it straight yeah, away. Yeah. And there's always the exactly that statement, all the gear, no idea. But to be honest, probably for me that stands out the most is when I was working with Corsa Clienti, the Ferrari racing owners sort oh, of yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, driver training. Yeah. I was in an FXX, so the Enzo-based, oh. not the La Ferrari, the newer one, but the XX. Um, the cooler which is, uh, one. Yeah, normally aspirate a V12, no high curves or anything. Um, I was doing 330 in a bit down the back straight of Shanghai with someone who didn't speak English driving the car, <laughs> and I was in the passenger seat speaking any other language other than Mandarin. <laughs> yes. um, What's helping Mandarin? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I have no I just screamed. <laughs> but, you know, that that's... Look, um, I thought, he's really enjoying himself. Yeah. He's, having, he's, he's screaming away. He's having I'll a great go faster. time. Yeah. Um, but also, it's, it's the type of car you're in as well. So some cars now with the electronic park brake, a lot of listeners may not know, if you pull and hold an electronic park brake, it will put like a 75 to 80% ABS into the car using brake force distribution and stability control. Oh, it's like a cheat So you can actually, yeah, you can you can pull and hold from the passenger seat or any seat and slow a car down. It will cut the throttle and everything as well. When you're in a race car in a five or six point harness with no park brake, you can't reach yeah. the steering wheel. Yeah. You've got very, very little you can do from the passenger seat. So that's probably you're the You're a very good communicator. Though, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly the biggest right. part of your job. Yeah, a lot of hand <laughs> movements. and <laughs> When Scott and I are in a car next and you're driving, I'm so doing that trick with the electric. <laughs> Oh, good, yeah. 
<laughs> I shouldn't have mentioned that before on air, we, should I? Before, before <laughs> no, we've even left actually, the car park. A lot of yeah. people wouldn't have known that. And that's yeah. actually it's a really good safety yes, message. So absolutely do mention that, yeah. yeah. It's just idiots like me that will abuse it. Yeah. <laughs> Certainly a lot of a lot of sales staff in dealerships aren't aware of this and they'll get yeah. joyriders coming to test drive cars. So we teach them that I actually do a lot of work with police and military in like covert ops as well. So we teach them in certain cars those what, cheat cool. codes Ooh. of what you can do in what cars cool to job. kind of take things over. So what have you got any others? Oh, there's a few. There's a there's a certain one in a Toyota that I yeah, think yeah. you're aware of that I know. <laughs> if anyone's played like Wonder Boy or Super Mario in their early days and you had to press like 15 buttons on the control to yeah, get like a free yeah. life, it's kind of like that but in a Toyota. Oh, yeah. that's I'll awesome. leave it at that. Okay. Right. Well, the internet is a wonderful thing. You can find out yes. yourself. Yes. <laughs> um, so, great. Things things going fantastically. What can we expect from Motor Kinetic in the future? What's what's uh, what's planned? What are you up to next? So we've done about 160-ish events this year across 15 brands. So there's a lot of variation yeah. from new car launches, customer events, etc. Um, certainly one of the bigger things, touching on the points we've already done with Ferrari, is Club Challenge. So owners of Ferrari race cars. We've got five events across Australia and New Zealand next year where we are running all the infrastructure and logistics and providing expert tuition and engineering on the cars. So basically just helicopter in and drive. Absolutely right. Yeah, we won't do anything and just turn up with a helmet and go, Could you perhaps do a bit of a deal for Scott and I? Absolutely, yeah. 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 Fantastic. Okay, good. Still can't afford it. 60 grand for regular people, 80 grand for us. (laughs) Please stay away. Additional risk. (laughs) Yeah. Do you find that there's a greater appetite now for, I mean, all the cars now, Ferraris, McLarens, Lamborghinis, blah, 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 blah. They're making these track models. There's a greater appetite for people to use them in the and sort of get the most out of them and them out of themselves? Absolutely. And what we're tending to find as well, with things like luxury car tax and the import duties on supercars in Australia, it's actually way cheaper to go and buy a race version of the same car. Like yeah. several hundred thousand dollars in some cases yep. to buy the racetrack version of it. Wow. Even running costs are cheaper. You know, yeah. most of the race Built cars are running it. steel brakes. It's like maybe eight to ten grand to replace steel brakes and pads on a, a, a race version, but twenty five to thirty on the road version. Yep. You know, it makes a big oh, difference. But those to carbon, those carbon brakes, they're for the life of the car, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, depends, <laughs> depends how short the life is. <laughs> I found out how they measure, you obviously Renato into this, but I found out how they measure the serviceability of carbon strike brakes. Do you know this, Scotty? Oh, I don't know. They put a, th- um, uh, just tell me. They weigh them. <laughs> Mm. Oh yes, yeah, because they don't wear down. Yeah, so they actually leach off their. Well, it's like the density their, of the exactly something. Right. Yeah. yeah, so they the the part of the material in them evaporates off. Yeah, they, yeah, they basically evaporate. I remember when they yeah. first put them on the GT2, yeah. and people would go out and do a track day, and the, yeah, the brakes would literally evaporate. Yeah, mm. but they'd still look completely fine yeah. and yeah. still have the same tolerances in terms of dimensions. But you need new sets. And it's only small. It's about a hundred grams of mass loss. Is I know it? this for really? Ferrari. Yeah, it's about a hundred grams of mass loss is considered. You know, no longer workable. And on the race cars, that so the challenge cars have carbon brakes, not steel. We actually also then X-ray them. So there's a lot of the aerospace companies around that do non-destructive testing. So we'll X-ray a rotor and just see where the mass is because you might get yeah. missing spots or cracks that you can't see and so yeah, on. In there. Right. So you can maybe eke a little bit more life out of them. Can you imagine in a few years' time when it's been through a few owners, someone will be like, hey, they look all right, keep going, they'll be fine. They've not worn down and they just won't yeah. explode. Yeah. I drove a car with aftermarket ceramic, carbon ceramic brakes. How was that? Uh, they put the wrong pads in it. It didn't stop. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So not a great experience. <laughs> but apparently, though, apparently, if you put the right pads in them, they work very well. <laughs> great. The laws of physics <laughs> still exist. All, <laughs> all the great consumer advice coming from Rich Car Weekly. Um, fantastic, Renato. Good to hear things are going well. Um, hope to see you even more fighting fit next time you come back. Um, it is customary for when we have very special guests on to ask you to elect a talk topic, <laughs> and yours is. 
ugliest witch car presenters. <laughs> Close. Close. Oh, Close. Yeah, don't invite that one. Thank you, Scotty. Um, <laughs> I'll lose. Senna or Cybertruck, which is the ugliest? Now, last week, great. This is perfect. Last week, we talked about Cybertruck. Um, what's the truck? And uh, obviously, one of the things we talked about was its styling, because that's really polarising. The fact that I forgot to style it. Yeah. <laughs> Perhaps that's what happened. Yeah. yeah, who knows? Is this another example of like the Simpsons foretelling the... Because, you know, all those yeah. events... Simpsons oh, are foretold. Yeah. Donald Trump and, Donald yeah. Trump and uh, Bruce Jenner, yeah. Caitlyn Jenner, and yeah. you know the Homer car and stuff like that. So I don't quite know. possibly. Yeah. Um, but this is an interesting one because you chose two cars that are nothing like one another: the McLaren Senna and the Cybertruck, which is ugly. Okay, we, we're going to unpack that. We're going to yeah. decide which is. Um, but do, both of those cars are good examples of form following function, and I would argue I can forgive. One, if not perhaps both, a little of for its fugliness because it's there to do a job and that's dictated. Can you not perhaps give it a little bit of a dispensation? No, I don't think so. Because <laughs> right. all right, all right. Both of, of those companies have more than enough people and brains and money to better design a car. And certainly something like a Senna that is absolutely functional, like it's got huge amounts of downforce and that's what they say it needs to look like that. You look at many, many other hypercar and supercars around that don't look anything like that. They still look beautiful. But they also perform well. But maybe they could go a bit quicker if they were just a bit uglier. But you've you given a Senna. Yeah. I mean, you've given a Senna. Has does it like say compared to a GD2 RS or a Pista or something? You know, if it's gonna, in your opinion, if it's gonna look like that, it's got to deliver. So absolutely. it doesn't necessarily deliver for its looks. No, absolutely. And and the limiting factor of any car is the four black round things on each corner. You know, the tires yeah, are the limiting yeah. factor. Until you can go and put He's race derived When you said that for a second, I was like, what's he talking about? <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Sorry. The events. Yeah. Yeah. The events, yeah. yeah. <laughs> sorry, carry on. Yeah. Um, they, they're the thing that stick you to the road. So unless you put on a better tyre, a slick racing tyre, you're not going to get all of that performance out of the car and you feel that. I've driven one at, at Phillip Island, which is a high speed, high downforce track in a car like that. And the tie just gives up. So that's all. It, I mean, it's we're getting off into another thing, but it's something I'm interested interested about. What happens then? Because the with a with a swings car, obviously the faster you go, it slicks, sticks itself to the ground. Yep. But if it then hasn't got that contact patch, what's the sort of feeling like? Because it would be sliding, but it'd be a weird sensation. It wouldn't because it's still trying to push itself into the ground. Correct. But without any platform. And it, I guess your is the main thing. So if the car starts to slide or understeer. The direction of the wing is no longer in direction of the oh, wind. Oh, yeah. So you have a much bigger crash. Correct, yeah. Oh, you you have an exponential release of downforce, you yeah. know. It's not just like a slow <laughs> release. It's like a big difference. That so, sounds like it would be one of the worst feelings in the world. Yeah, it's it's unnerving, that's for sure. Oh, the typical race car. <laughs> cool there. Um, and if you're going to put slick tyres on a car... Like you say, buy a yeah. race car. Yeah, exactly. You know. right. right. Okay, that's what it comes down to, isn't it? Okay, yeah. well, that's a that's a fair point. It does have like glass bits in the doors, though, which is really cool. Yeah, come on. No, like, so you can that's... see people. People can see when you were driving wearing no pants, Dan. Which is regular. Yes. Yeah. Right. It's so you can you can swerve the vomit that they've just released from their mouth. Oh, and, seen <laughs> <your car> <laughs> and they don't have carbon monoxide poisoning. <laughs> um, okay, right. So Cybertruck then does that deserve similar treatment? It's there to do a job. It, the result of that is it looks like a camper trailer. Um, but <laughs> can we sort of forgive it a little bit? Because it's, it's uh, we're told, dear um, 
Elron Musk says it's made out of <laughs> made out of stainless steel because that's the best material. Well, it's funny. Like one is very complicated in the way yeah. it looks to capture air. The other one is like you know a textbook example of simplicity. It's like if DMC made a doorstop, yeah. that would oh. be it. You know, if they had the DeLorean Mark II as a doorstop, that's the Cybertruck. Let's not draw any parallels between John DeLorean and Elon Musk, shall we? I think we did that last week, didn't we? We've already already. Yeah, so it's it's. I suppose it looks like it is to do a job. Um, very it different looks like it is Senate. to generate internet clicks. Yeah. That's probably why I, I don't... Yeah, I can't <laughs> yeah. forgive it that. It, so, it's, so ironically, I seem to be the one... I actually don't mind it. Like, there's... I don't know what it's going to look like. Do, what do no, you do? I don't... I don't know what it's going to look like when it's productionized, but I don't know. Yeah. It's kind of got a cool Halo, sci-fi, end-of-the-world kind of cool to it, like... You know, the cool light bar across the front. And I'm not sure about that sloping roof. Mm. Um, someone actually made made one on the internet that actually looked quite cool. They did a few different modifications. Um, I don't oh, know. Some digital artists around Yeah, some digital things. artists yeah. sort of stuff. So, so what you're saying is if someone, a 15-year-old, sat in their bedroom with Photoshop yeah. can do a better job than Tesla design. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And speaking yeah. of people who can do better jobs with Teslas, yes. you found someone on the internet who's done a great thing with yeah, Tesla. Yeah, there's a, a girl by the name of Simone Gertz in the US who's a robotics engineer that does a lot of really cool stuff on her YouTube channel. She actually has a Model 3 sedan that she converted into a ute two maybe three years ago cool and it looks amazing it's the same drivetrain everything's still tesla inside it but from the b pillar back she's converted it into a ute and it looks the it, well that's the beautiful part about i have one i would definitely have about one. the tesla platform is yeah you don't have to worry yeah. about you know diff housings or transmissions or yeah. you know props or prop shafts or anything like that you can literally hack off half your car and make it whatever you want. Yeah. But being a Tesla, I should imagine there would have been quite a few challenging um, engineering hurdles to leap over to get that to work. I don't know. You'd have to go and watch the YouTube channel, I suppose. Yeah. I'm absolutely going to do that. <laughs> there you go. But it sounds like a strange... You're the engineer in this room. It's just, well, used to be. <laughs> and I was very boring. I've retired now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've, yeah, that was when I had my proper job. Um, yeah, but you should imagine, like, that car, it's full of a lot of technology. Uh, and I... Yeah, come on. You should be able to just press a button and go, Ute mode. Well, that's... That's where it needs to be. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Um, okay, so this opens up the broader conversation then. Uh, our favourite slash hmm. least favourite fugly cars. Um, Guests first. We have... Huh? Guests first. Guests first again. Great, please. It's first on my list, not because it's the fugliest, just because it was the first one I thought of. The Fiat Multiplar. Oh. Not the old, like, vintage 70s, the later spec, like the it 90s. looks like it's got it. a disease. Yeah, yeah the headlights went right. in the wrong place. And I saw someone recently say that this is ageing quite well, and I don't know what... Drugs it on. absolutely is not. It's. I mean, apparently it was an amazing car. It was a very, very clever car in terms of space utilisation. It's seated six, but it's one of those cars you just couldn't possibly live with it. It looks like you'd need to shut all the doors, fill it up full of water and make it like a fish feature in your house. <laughs> That'd be like nice. It looks like some sort I of... I quite like that. Yeah. yeah. That'd be, yeah. That's a lovely idea. Like um, well, once of, again, you were yeah. saying, you know, good utilisation of interior space and all that. Once again, form follows function. The reason that car looks like it does is because it was trying to do a job better. And what did we do? We shot it down. You said yeah. we didn't praise it for being good at its job. We just criticised it and made it feel bad and it went away and it died. Yeah, well, that's the lesson of car design, isn't it? If you make mm. something, like you say, form following function, it will inevitably tank. But there, yeah, there's other, but there's other examples of cars that, where they've done exactly that and they look great as a result. So... I don't know. I suppose the thing going back to, I'm gonna I'm gonna weigh in with a couple of my favourite slash least favourite. But the thing that I find so unforgivable about the the Tesla Cybertruck is it's, and I know it sounds silly because styling is about attention seeking, but it's attention seeking. You know what I mean? It's yeah. it's just sort of designed to 
to provoke people to go, oh, I either love it or I hate it. Mm. I know that's to a degree the point, but it's there's something so sort of just irritating about it. Yeah, that. cynical. But, they, they've they've caught you up in the in the whole yeah these, furor. Yeah. But also, like a lot of the, you think about a lot of the car brands make a halo car that goes to like a Geneva or something, and it's like, this is what we can do. We're not going to do it. We're not going to sell it. But we have the capability yeah. of doing this. He's hopped up there and said, "We're going to sell you this car. Log onto the website now and put a deposit down." It's like that's if they made yeah. it as a halo car and said, "Hey, we it have the capability." Yeah. yeah, here's the concept. Cool. We're going to make something that looks way less ugly and way more functional. Yeah. People are go awesome. I'll wait for that. Yeah. And I feel like that's where they might have missed the mark. All right. Well, you mentioned before how the Fiat Multipla has a. Someone said it's aged well. How about this for another example? The Edsel, what's largely regarded no. as the poster child of ugly cars, <laughs> has that's very old car now. Has no. it aged? But no. Okay. Horrendous. Right it's yeah. got a genitalia for a face. That's <laughs> not true. <laughs> it it is not... true. You know, yeah. like, okay, if you don't know, the Edsel was a famous flop in. I think it was released in 1959 or very early 60s. Um, it was very adventurous front end design, and it's now it looked terrible then. It still looks terrible now. It's, I mean, that's the thing. <laughs> yeah. Ironically, there's like Edsel clubs and stuff that pop up that you know these people yeah, get together and there's a Morris Marina owners club. Yeah, you know? I mean that doesn't mean anything. Just but ironically, I think the Edsel's got a modern successor in the Concept Four, the new BMW concept. <laughs> that's really unkind. In both examples, there's cars that. Mainly look quite good. Like the Edsel looks like a, you know, like a T-bird or something like that from the from the back or the side. You go, oh yeah, I'm I'm into this. And then you, and then you the walk front. around the front. And you go, ah! Yeah, yeah and you, yeah. your child dies from shock. Okay, so still that's never going to be good. Then we don't. No. no. All right. What about this? Might divide you. Citroen Two CV. Absolutely fuggers in my mind. Dislike it immensely. It's kind of prissy and silly. And I mean, would limit it to styling because I could go on about the engineering shortcomings of that car. <laughs> but okay, styling just doesn't work for me. It's funny. Whenever I think about the TCV, I, I immediately think of it cornering, like from the James Bond <laughs> film. <laughs> it was in a villain driving it. And yeah. it always looks so ungainly. Yeah. So for me, that is then ugly. Like it doesn't operate with any sort of grace no. or elegance. It's in trying to be a car. It looks like it's you know about to kill over. So to me, that almost makes it ugly. Like static, I go, oh yeah, kind of cute French car. It's not yeah, doesn't uh, doesn't offend me, but in operation, it just looks so out of place. There's, maybe it's maybe it's the ownership that goes with it as well. Is that people? Yeah, people who own two CVs are just I don't know that. Oh, it's the purest motoring experience yeah, you can have. Yeah, yeah. You can it's drive like, one flat out and not go more than 14 miles an hour. That's the thing with it. Yeah, it's, it's like people try and educate you how you don't understand. If yeah. You don't understand. It's you don't like, get it, Dan. Maybe I just don't bloody like <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? yeah. Maybe I don't need to understand. Yeah. The car's shit. Vegans. <laughs> um, any others then? Come on, I can see. Oh, uh, definitely. Uh, he's got a great list in front of him. AMC Pacer, or in fact anything by the American Motor Corporation. <laughs> Did they make anything else? Or, but didn't they make a variants of... of the Pacer? Wait, hang on. Let's start. They with made Pacer. a Rambler though, and that was quite cool, wasn't oh, it? I don't know. About I think that, that was a. I think uh, I will vote for a cool. Okay, I. What about this then? I, I'm applying a test to this. Um, and I, the, the example is, if I went back to the UK, God forbid, it will never happen. But if I had to, I would take a Commodore or Falcon Ute with me. Because on the road in the UK, supremely cool for its yes. exclusivity. If you put a Pacer on the road in Australia, I bet you both drive it. Oh, I'd drive away from it. Yeah. Really? I'd, dri- I'd drive into it in a hiker. <laughs> Try and make it look a bit better. Yeah. In a Commodore hiker. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, it's well, just an amorphous blob. There's no, there's no feature no. to it. 
It's just so rounded and... There's something There's something a bit unpretentious about f- it. The front's like angled and sharp on the bonnet yeah. lines and the rear is round. It's like kind yeah. of... I don't know. They forgot to finish half the car. I don't know if it's the front or the back. Think but of the hole that was punched like... in a pedestrian with the edge <laughs> on the bonnet. Oh, no. It would just slice them in half. Yeah. <laughs> it has similarities to the Cybertruck. Maybe that angular. would... Yeah. Maybe it would have the last laugh. You'd reverse into it in your high car and would just slice the high car in two <laughs> with its sharp face. That was That's the Mirthmobile, isn't it? That's, that's, it is. that's I don't know what that well, is. Yeah. I don't get that reference. Okay, well, that's another one to look at. The internet's going to get a bashing yeah. after this episode, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, I reckon. Uh, okay, Scott. Um, for me, it's taking the centre to extremes. It's the Lamborghini Veneno. It's just like... It sounds like a disease and oh, it looks like a disease. Oh, That's all right, isn't it? And there's a few things I've got. A, I've got a real annoyance with this car, right? Because the center at least works. You know, form follows function, and it's amazing on a track, especially if you put the right tires on it. A Veneno is just a tarted up Aventador, like. Yeah, all right. Yeah, it's sort of and the, the cost. It? It's like yeah. you've only yeah. had it to go. Oh, look at me! Look how fancy I am. It, all it is, and it doesn't. I don't think. It has, I think it's got a little bit more power. Yeah, but. It's a plain event underneath. Kit. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's, <laughs> it's like offset a the extra yeah. weight. Yeah. yeah, it's like a mansory body kit yeah. on a. You know, it's horrendous. All right, I, I think car. the panel has heard your um your case, and we both agree. Yeah, that's okay. That's, that's not forgivable. What about on the other end of the on the other end of the spectrum, the Stavic? Oh Hang yeah, on. of course, yeah, absolutely, of course. Like that is absolutely proper. There's nothing redeemable about that whatsoever. No. It's got some funky design elements to it. Like, it wasn't it meant to be look like a yacht. I think a luxury yacht. What? It's got that, what? you know, Submer- like capsized. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In what way? But it's, it's got. Uh, if you can picture like the rear window, it's got that slice through it. Oh um, uh, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I think that was meant to. Yeah, I don't know. Resemble sails or it's something. It's like the old. It's like the old cliche. Someone describes a luxury yacht down the phone on a bad line or something, and <laughs> that's what they ends up with. All right, all right. Okay. Ends up with a Stavic. Do you remember they had a Musso dual cab Ute at that period as well? Yeah, yeah. and it yeah. looked like it had a like two feet, two little wheelbase. Yeah. Yep. And massive overhangs and... But that's interesting because the current Musso is not bad. a bad looking, looking thing. thing. Bad. Yeah. And it's strange, it looks really long. Although, yeah. Well, that's the thing. They did, they do a regular Musso, yeah. which is quite not too bad. But then they do an extended tray oh, do, and yeah. all they did was just put Add like... a bit on the back. Yeah. Like, it's like yeah. The, what was that? The Holden Brougham thing. They just made a car and then just put another two feet of boot on it. I said, <laughs> oh, we've made it better. All right. Well, okay. So yes, Sangyong definitely gets terrible points for its previous cars, but it gets extra credit for. Yeah. It's getting of, there. It's, it's got to keep up the good work stamp. Yeah, on yeah. 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 Participation award. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> cute. I'd go uh, Infinity QX80, yeah. especially oh, the early really? ones. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That, Bit so of a that, mixed bag. Had like That's, a melted face. That is yeah. properly fucking. Although when I went to Dubai, they were everywhere. Ah. They were like every second car was an Infiniti QX80. So, so oh, interesting. So, so I don't know. It hit the nail on the head perhaps for its intended market. Mm. Um, keeping into the family, Nissan Juke. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. nah. Yeah, nah. No, I agree. It's got too much going on. Yeah, headlights are yeah. a bit weird. And yeah, it's got like double bit. headlights. Yep. Well, that's again another one of those examples where you just said before, it's you know, there's interesting styling elements in there, mm. but when you put them all together, it's just overload on the sensor. Yeah, it'd be like, yeah. like a nice meal yeah. from like, Ten different restaurants, none of which were the same cuisine. Yeah, you put it together and it just tastes like bath. You know what we need is we had our photographer on Nathan um, on an episode recently, and he talked about how the Supra has these um, styling signatures he called smudges, where it just looks like the design was finished, and then he went and smudged a bit there and smudged yeah. it there. And to prove his point, yeah. he photoshopped them all out, and the car looks great. So I reckon we should get him to do the Duke, take away some of the yeah. outlandish styling features, and see yeah. if we can make it a bit more pure. Maybe he could do the center. Less puke, more, <laughs> yeah. Well, you saw that yeah. McLaren Elva that came out. Yes. That came out. I mean, that's 
kind of similar. I mean, it's not as track focused, so but that is quite yeah. an attractive sort of car. Yeah. Um, and it's still got all the power. It's like I don't know. Stop trying to make cars race cars. Yes. Race cars are for race cars. Road cars are for road use. That doesn't make no. any sense. Yeah. <laughs> no. Things. Something. We get your points. Yeah. Uh, any. Oh, I'm going to throw in another one. A, a Ford Festiva. Absolutely. Wow. Oh, like the early '90s yeah. rounded yeah, blobby okay. ones. And it's, yeah. you know how we, some of the cars we said, oh, there's good bits about it. Nothing good in it at all. You can't no. look at one point and say, oh, that'd be all right if you just get that. Nothing at all. No. Horrendous. Anything car. else from you, Renato? Chrysler PT Cruiser. Yes, of course. Yes. Nothing says. Midlife the, crisis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> another, another, I mean, Chrysler in general, Chrysler Crossfire, Chrysler PT Cruiser. Yes. And there's a, there's a car near our offices that always parks there. It's a Chrysler Sebring convertible. Oh, and I wonder wow. what was the thought process that led to the purchase of this vehicle? <laughs> Like, how do you get they that? They went on a game show, like in the 90s. Like you'd, a... leave it, you'd leave it at <laughs> the studio, wouldn't they you? They probably had severe carbon monoxide poisoning. <laughs> yeah, I think. I yes. Maybe that's why they made them convertible, just for the fresh air. <laughs> yeah, <there we> <laughs> um, yeah, do you remember okay. that time I found someone in Tasmania had a collection of them? Yeah, didn't they have like hundreds? Well, not hundreds. Well, a whole yard full of them. And it's like, so someone... There's an institution for them. As I say, no, ma- no, hang on. Maybe they're doing the world a favour. Yeah. They're collecting them. <laughs> this is yeah. a big hole in the ground they're putting. And they're going to sink Tasmania at the end of it. Yeah, they're collecting Maybe. them to stop <laughs> them inflicting down there. inflicting pain on other people. Maybe they have one that they need all of the others for spares for because it's yeah. so unreliable. It yeah, that's right. True. They're all donors for one to keep it going. Um, no, yes, we must do a we must do a pilgrimage and eradicate this place. What? Uh, no, Chrysler did. What was that amazing car? That looked like a hot rod. The Plymouth Prowler. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yes. That was yeah. all right. That's yeah. the one Chrysler they did well. But then they put a four-speed auto in it and a three-point-five-liter V6. Big fail. Didn't make any power. Yeah. All right. Um, please. Holden Camira. Because they labelled it as a supercar. It's not a very good look. I've got to say, if I think back to the supercars of the early 80s, uh, you know, uh, Testarossa, uh, Ferrari yeah. Boxer, yeah. Lamborghini Countach, Camira no, doesn't necessarily... No. It's, not a, it's not an obvious sort of linearity, is it? No. No. So hang on, so they labelled it themselves. Again, another one for the internet. If you Google Holden Camira supercar, you'll oh, see I'm a supermodel. the ads. You... Absolutely, because you said you are. Yeah, I'm a, yeah. I've said I'm a supermodel. So it's like when I'm people tell you they're an entrepreneur. You're not allowed to entitle yourself <laughs> with that. And Holden is not allowed to... I'm thinking of someone in particular when you think someone... <laughs> oh, I know exactly who you're talking about. Cheeky Daniel. That's, okay, that's a good one. Okay, definitely not a supercar and definitely not a looker either. No. No, just too bland. Uh, what have we got? I've got one that we may not have heard of. Just to finish this off. Mitsuoka. Arachi. I know the car. You know the oh, know see, the he's a connoisseur of ugly cars. Oh, does that mean I'm not very This is why we get Renato like Liberto sort of on. Fish or crab or it looks aquatic. It's very, very odd. Yeah, it's meant to look like a fish that's passed through the digestive tract of a shark, I think. Yeah. Which I think is <laughs> a Swedish delicacy. It's a J- J- Japanese. Japanese, it's, is it? Uh got a Toyota engine in it, I think. That's right. the thing, it's meant to be a supercar too. Yeah. But it's just got a two hundred and six kilowatt, you know, Orion V six in it. Oh, no, okay. You know, not oh, even a supercharger like Lotus. Uh, oh, yeah. All right. It looks well, need... very much a bottom feeder when it took, when you call it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like a blobfish kind <laughs> yeah, of thing. Yeah, that's right. Meaning yeah. it feeds on bottoms. That's sure. Great. Okay. Well, that's obviously going to end in, in tears, isn't it? That's right. Um, <laughs> and I believe we have one more. My last one is a Zenvo TSRS. No, no idea what that is. It's a, it's a random it's... collection of letters, isn't it? It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can I buy a vowel? <laughs> it's a European supercar that has a huge rear wing that tilts. Left and right, as opposed to tilting into the wind. If you what? if you got back into racing and your team 
you just signed with came up with yep. that and showed you that you would would you would you drive it I'd take my gloves off and slap them with them <laughs> okay. and, then, and then storm out of the garage <laughs> like a true prima donna yeah. racing driver absolutely bloody brilliant I want to see that um, Renato it's been an absolute pleasure thank you so much for giving us your precious Grazie, time ragazzi. have a fabulous time at Phillip Island thank you and will you please uh, come back and tell us all about your adventures again in the near future at the ESP next time Oh, please. Yes, of course, because you did think they were going to the pub. I'm sorry about that. We went to precisely the opposite thing. It's actually a filing cabinet in their office, just for all those listening at home. Don't tell them that. The pub is the pub. Glamorous. No, wonderful to have you. Uh, Thank you very much. Have a great time at Phillip Island. And uh, Scott Newman, I suppose I should probably say thanks to you as well. Remember to press record last next time. (laughs) (laughs) And with that, we bid you farewell. Thank you for listening. Uh, Tune in again, same time, same place, next for number 42. We'll bring you loads of other exciting news. And who knows, we may have someone equally as special, unlikely as Renato. Thank you for listening. My name is Daniel Gardner. Goodbye. Goodbye.